you aspire to be a superintendent, you think you know what the job might be like, but you may not really know. Bring together like-minded people. As well as organizations that are supporting school systems. And they bring the problem of practice with a group of people to talk through it, and then with vendors who provide solutions. And you know, when you think about a notion of getting better, a lot of times people think that you're sick, but you don't have to be sick to get better. Having either that trusted network of colleagues when you're in practice or prior to practice becomes really important. That's what IAI does. Brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation where like-minded, hard-working professionals come to listen, learn, and connect. This week on Education Thought Leaders. It's one of my favorite episodes of the year when we sit down and chat with retiring IEI members about their reflections and where they're headed. Today it's Dr. Debbie Baker, Deputy Superintendent in Brighton Central School District in New York, and Dr. John Jungman, Superintendent of Springfield Public Schools in Missouri. Good morning. Welcome back to Education Thought Leaders. This is our final episode of the school year, and we run our seasons by the school year. So it's the final episode of the season, and really glad to be here. It's one of my favorite opportunities of the year on this. We get to talk with people who are hanging up their keys to the district buildings, as they say, hanging up the spikes, as ball players say. I'm here with John Jugman, who is, until the end of the day, superintendent of Springfield Public Schools in Missouri. How are you, John? Great, Doug. Good to see you. Good to see you. And I'm also here with Dr. Debbie Baker, who is Deputy Superintendent in Brighton Central School District in Central New York. How are you, Debbie? I'm doing great. It's so good to see you guys. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations from, from all of us in IEI. We have others who are, who are also moving on um, from the IEI family. We'll make, we'll make sure to honor them in other ways, but it's really great to be able to thank you for all your work. And this sure has been a hell of a year. Thank you for, for sticking through and getting your districts through and your, your students through these challenges. I think you're having your expertise in the building certainly helped everybody make the best of what was surely a tough year. So thanks for all your work. Honored to do it. And uh, My pleasure. thousands of superintendents across our nation who uh, stepped up in really, really difficult times. They really did. And we're, we're indebted to all of them. So, you know, this is a moment where I mean, neither... The spoiler alert, I'll, I won't bury the lead. Neither of you are going away. You're going to keep doing great work. Um, but this is, a, this is a big moment to, to be stepping out of a school district, inst you know, an institution that most of you have been in for a long time. To take us back to Debbie, you first. What, how did you get into teaching and how did you end up a district leader? And you know, what was that journey like for you? It was an incredibly circuitous route. I will condense it down to my undergrad. I went to be a, uh, I wanted to be a forest ranger and didn't want to take organic chemistry. And that led me to a career, an early teaching career in vocational agriculture. And then oh. fast forward to moving to New York, turned into a special ed, VOAG slash elementary teacher, turned into a special education teacher. And at that point in time, I thought, you know, I really, really enjoy the classroom, but I really want to do something different. I'd like to, I'd like to make a make a difference and change at a larger level. And so kind of just started working my way towards um, not only uh, my administrative degree, but also my doctorate. Um, really wanted to, you know, learn more about how we could measure learning and affect learning at that, you know, at a district level. So um, it was, like I said, it, it's been a, it's a circuitous journey for sure. I don't think I realized till now that you're not originally from New York. Where'd you come from? I came from West Virginia. Oh, Doug, everybody talks about my accent. Thank you very much. 
Uh, that's great. Good for you, West Virginia. I'm actually headed. We're we're taking the family through there on the way to. Uh, we're doing a little circuitous route to get to our event in Asheville. So, nice. um, yeah, gonna go uh, explore there a little bit. So, um, great forest ranger, huh? Never knew that. So interesting. Do you think being an administrator, what, did you get to do the kind of work you thought you were going to get to be able to do? Oh, it, it exceeded my expectations. And I think part of that, I've been in Brighton for 14 years, working with colleagues, you know, the superintendent of schools, just really being part of a team that was encouraged from day one to, you know, think about it, you know, go out and see what's doing, you know, I call it reconnaissance, right? So, you know, coming to places like IEI or going to different conferences and really engaging with some serious thought leaders in the field and bringing those ideas back and being encouraged to move them forward. I can honestly say professionally, I've never, I can't imagine not having done this work and I can't imagine having done any more. It just has been phenomenal for sure. Well, that's great. And a shout out to, uh, to Kevin McGowan. And, and uh, we love that we get to see you and um, hope maybe we'll, we, we might have to deal with seeing him a couple of times in the future uh, since you won't be with him. But, um, you know, all, all our best to him and to everybody there. So, um, so John, uh, your journey, how did you end up in teaching and then how did you end up in leadership? Yeah, so it, it's been an interesting ride. Uh, not all that predictable. First generation college student, last of six kids. And I got into education purely because of educators and uh, had the opportunity at our my retirement reception last night to have one of those key educators in the room. I always tell the story of three people in my high school path that put me on the education track. It was my high school principal, who was my greatest cheerleader. Right? Uh, just always, and not just mine, but thousands of students over time. So I had a great cheerleader. I had a high school English teacher uh, who I believe was an innovator in the education space. Right? She was always looking for ways to connect kids with content outside of the traditional curriculum and outside the regular classroom. She set me up an internship where I had this opportunity to become a sports writer for a local newspaper. And I, I just had awesome experiences in the adult world because of her, right? So this educator connected me with the world. And then my third one was a high school coach, uh, a basketball coach and golf coach. And I always tell people he was my truth teller uh, because he said, you're not real good at basketball. Foot speed, not so good, right? <laughs> Don't jump well, right? Yeah. So some ways to use your other talent. So I uh, went out to the golf team, did well in that, uh, but I became the sports writer and followed the basketball team, right? So I connected all of those things together. Uh, and because of that, went to college to become a high school English teacher and a coach. And that's where I stepped back into the classroom in my home high school, teaching across from the English teacher and, uh, uh, you know, in the same building as the coach. So they inspired me to go on that journey. And that's what inspired me to hopefully, you know, move to administration over time. Is how do I impact larger groups of students uh, and set them on a journey that they never dreamed possible. And that's what educators did for me. And then I, my principals and superintendents inspired me into the other work, right? The administration mm -hmm. school, a teacher and a coach for my career. That lasted four years, but others said, hey, you should try this. You'll be good at this work. And then, like Debbie said, once you got into the work of administration, it was so rewarding because you could see the impact you could have on a building, a district, and you got to play in the space of both inside the system and outside the system. And I learned so much being a superintendent because I got to connect with the business world. I got to connect uh, with teachers in the classroom still. And I got to try to be the link between those two uh, mm -hmm. and 
so much fun. Well, it's great. Uh, by the way, you all are on listening to us on the podcast on audio, so you can't see us on video, but I'm telling you, if I look half as good as these two people when I retire, I think I'm, I'm doing all right. I, you guys are way too young to be retiring. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm real happy for you. So what's, what's next, Debbie? Uh, what do you, I know you're not going to just do nothing. So what, what, what are you headed off to do next? Yeah, well, um, I think first and foremost, I have five grandchildren under the age of four. So uh, definitely uh, some trips to be seeing them, but professionally, um, I'm actually going to be teaching a grad class this summer. I'm looking forward to it um, at the University of Rochester. Um, I taught grad work back when I finished my doctorate, but have not done that in a few years. And so I'm anxious to kind of get back into the classroom and get back into that, that you know, level of, of education. I've also got a couple of consulting uh, gigs, if you will, lined up. One is with um, our state technology organization, the New York State Computer and Technology Educators, our recipients of a grant where we're going to be um, operationalizing the new state computer science standards for K-8 teachers. And so I'll be coaching, uh, working with a team of teachers that's great. through that process. So I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. That's, that's, uh, that's going to be great. Hopefully you get some, some time with the grandkids and some downtime, maybe read a couple books. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's on your, if, do you have any idea what's on your retirement reading list? Anything you're thinking about you want to get into? Generally, yeah, not specific. I, no, I actually, and, and this is actually, you might be interested in it as well, Doug. It's uh, the book I'm looking forward to the most right now is called A Beautiful Constraint. And um, I, I don't know the author, sorry about that. But anyway, I heard of this book at a recent uh, uh, workshop that I was at. And the bottom line is, as the authors put it, you know, constraints are perceived as barriers, but, but we actually have to look upon them as opportunities. And the example they gave, which I thought was phenomenal, was they talked about Uber. When Uber started out, their goal was to be the best taxi company in the entire world. The constraint was they didn't have any cars. And so they had to really come up with a way to kind of be the best taxi company. And so we talk about COVID and we talk about, you know, coming back to school in the fall and what constraints are in place. And, you know, and it's the anxiousness of looking at these opportunities, right? What are our kids, what have they gained this past year that we can capitalize on and move forward? So I think I thought it sounded like a pretty interesting book. Yeah. Um, and I'm anxious to, to break the spine, so to speak. Great. Good for you. Um, John, what, what, are you, what are you thinking about doing after you take a little time off? Yeah. So I plan to do what most educators do, which is fail retirement. And I plan to give up. <laughs> and I'm going to uh, just say that I'm not done with this work. I'm, I'm done with the superintendency. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's forever, but at least for, for a uh, time away. Uh, but I'm going to stay highly engaged in the education network. Uh, it's given so much to me, and I want to give back to that. So I, I'm going to do some consulting, like Debbie said. One of the things that I've already agreed to do is help our state superintendents association put together a more sophisticated coaching program for early career soups to help them right. get uh, and give them the real supports necessary. It's an isolated, lonely job uh, with uh Lots of people that want to help, but we need to coordinate it better. So we're going to try to connect the dots for them. We're going to do some coaching. Also going to help, uh, you know, hopefully uh, superintendents and school districts serve kids more effectively. I've got some things on the burner that deal with the finance side of the house. Uh, mm -hmm. districts, resources are always uh, difficult to come by. You got to be strategic about how you use them. And then also on the technology side of the house, I've 
I've been highly passionate about finding ways to support kids through virtual solutions uh, that are meaningful and connect real adults that are uh, going to impact their lives through uh, different ways than we have traditionally. So we've done that in Springfield. I, I'm interested to do that more at a national level. So having talks with some people that I think I could bring some expertise to uh, and an educator's viewpoint and maybe uh, continue to support kids in school districts uh, across the country. Great, well, look forward to hearing more about how that unfolds. Do you have anything on your on your reading list for your, for your time off before you start working again? You know what I just started and it, it is kind of that, uh, it's the quintessential thing that you do when you take this next step, I think. It's called halftime. Uh, mm -hmm really uh, a reflection on, uh, it forces you to reflect on where you've been and where you want to go with the next uh, years of your life. So uh, far from over on the journey, but I'm saying it's a little halftime break and uh, we're going to go to the locker room, figure out what's next and then jump in. Yeah. Did you, did you coach basketball or, or other sports? Uh, I, I did a little bit of basketball, a little bit of football and golf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like a no. true athlete there, John. Right. <laughs> I would never come up with some sort of a sports metaphor for what I did. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I have a hard time not coming. I'm working on a blog post right now and I can't get out of baseball metaphors. I think it's because my Yankees are so bad. I just, it's like it's on my mind all the time. Well, uh, that's, that's great. Sounds like you're both going to be doing some work in your States, but also starting to, to look at some other kind of national profile stuff. So I hope you'll, you'll keep us posted, you know, and stay in touch with us you know, how in all the different ways we have now to stay in touch and uh, LinkedIn, especially, because then we can keep sharing what you're working on. Um, so let's, let's look big picture. I'd love your reflections on some things. Um, let's start with a reflection on you. Then I want to reflect more on kind of the industry over, over time, but um, what's something that you've done that you're really proud of in your work? And then what's something that, what's one of the, make it something that, you know, <laughs> was it two reasons that we can talk about a time you may be made a misstep and fixed it. Love to hear sort of how you, how you grew from that experience. So if you can think about like a- you or what, Doug? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just like something you're real proud of and something that you turned around uh, that, you know, was a learning moment for you, if you could, John. Yeah, sure. Well, there's so many things on the list, but I'm proud of uh, the work that our team has done to impact the graduation rate in our system. So last year we hit a record over 93%. We've never uh, broken the 90% barrier before in the history of the district. So uh, that was meaningful. It changed, And the way we're doing it uh, is not because of me by any means, but we're stretching our uh, belief in how you serve kids and anytime, anywhere, flex your environment, flex your uh, skill set of your staff and go meet them where they're at. And, and they'll come along on the journey, uh, but we have to be willing to flex the system. So we've done that. We've set a new bar, right, for what a graduation rate can look like. And I hope it's one that, uh, that they continue to break uh, and we don't fold back into the traditional methods of one size fits all education. So really pushing us to not look at this system is one size fits all and break the break down those barriers that have kept it that way in the past. Was it hard to get the community and board and everybody to come along on that journey? You know, it's not an easy journey uh, when you're talking about change and education uh, and no matter what it is. And uh, the good thing is we have an incredible staff with a heart for kids and they know that there are real needs and they know that absent a high school diploma, which we call the starting line, not the finish line, uh, you know, kids are going to struggle 
in life, like economically stable, family, all those things. We've got to get them to the starting line. Uh, and they bought into that need. And the only way to do that was shift some of our practices. So it's hard, uh, but yeah. it's meaningful and it's worth doing. Okay, great. What's uh, what, what's the time when you when you sort of maybe stepped in the wrong direction and had to turn around and had a learning experience? This is only you know another twenty minutes. I don't think we have time for all of it. <laughs> I can find a couple, right? Where I've twisted the ankle or you know, stubbed a toe for sure. Uh, I think it's always in for me. It's always been around the pace of change, right? You see it. You have a. a passion for the urgency to shift, right? So I could go case by case of the scenarios where we probably pushed too fast too, uh, too, uh, and didn't put all of the parts together before we uh, started you know, flying the plane. I don't necessarily regret that because that pressure, I think, puts situations uh, in front of us where we're forced to solve problems that we probably wouldn't have encountered if we didn't put the pressure on the system. So. When I stub my toe, it's always around urgency. It's always around too quickly moving. Uh, and I've learned to adjust accordingly and bring more voices to the table and uh, help get some different ideas out there around the pace. Uh, and I think that's helped me grow over time. Yeah, I, I can I can share that one. It's it's sometimes hard to uh, to to go to get to bring people along. You have to kind of start the conversation early and let it marinate, especially with boards, right? You know. Um, that's what I'm working on myself. So great. We're the world's best gardeners. I think we just seed, sow and fertilize, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Debbie? What, what's something that you're real proud of that you, that you did in Brighton or anywhere? Yeah, I think actually most, it would be my most recent work what we've done over the last, and, and like John, it's a we, um, over the last probably four or five years, we really started to shine the spotlight on issues that we were having across our district pertaining to diversity and equity issues, right? And, you know, it's it was just bringing people on board, some really deep th thought, very deep study on what does it mean to be equitable? What does it mean to make sure that all of our students feel like they're included and that this is a place for them and a safe space for them to learn? Um, and I think, you know, we're starting now to start to see the benefits of that. Um, starting to see some curriculum that's being developed or, or shifted and modified, some new resources. But I think as importantly, we're starting to see some real shifts in instructional practice too where you know we're giving all kids voice and choice and we're doing it very very purposefully you know we're starting to regularly ask students you know what are they thinking what you know what are do they see themselves in what they're learning and if not how can we make those shifts mm -hmm. that, you know those practices really weren't in place a few years ago so i'm so yeah. proud of, of you know that work and and you know we certainly are on a journey um it's not a destination but i feel like you know we've at least left the station and and i think it's been really good um, What's as, interesting you know, there, Debbie, though, is that t tell us about Brighton a little bit. Uh, like, what? Tell us about sort of what kind of, what kind of community you're working in, and yeah, um, sure. yeah. So we're we're a first rank suburb of Brighton, a very of Brighton of Rochester, New York. About 3,600 kids, really high performing. Um, but you know, our our student population is incredibly diverse. So we are 69% white, but then we are like 15%. Um, Asian and the rest predominantly multi-multiracial, black, nine percent black. Um, we have twenty-three percent free and reduced lunch, so that has increased in my fourteen years. When I first got to Brighton, we were 
5% free and reduced, and now we're at 23%. So we're a shifting population. We also are, um, I would say, an incredible melting pot, if you will. There's 43 different languages spoken in Brighton. We have a very large, over 200 uh, NL population. English is a new language. And so um, constantly looking towards, you know, again, meeting the needs of all of our students, but understanding what those needs are, for sure. Yeah, well, good, uh, good to hear about, about that work. It's, you know, I think sometimes the, the conversation about equity feels like a big city district conversation, you know, at least when you read it in the, in the mainstream press and all that. But so many of our folks are working on this in, you know, rural places and suburban places. And I think that's really important to, because that, that's been, you know, the theme of the year really is that we always had an equity problem and the pandemic just laid it bare and, um, just, you know, so much uh, appreciation for all of you who've been kind of working through that, working on it through that lens. So um, what's what's something where you had a really good learning experience as a leader? You know, what's something where you kind of turn something around? I, I'm, I'm smiling only because, John, I think you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I think, you know, especially early on, but it continue. It's those lessons you learned about not moving so fast. Um, you know, I, I joke around and I say to people, you know, my husband calls me a nag, but I just say I'm tenacious. And I, you know, and it just really is yeah. kind of continual working the work, working the work, mission and vision in mind, but then having people remind you sometimes that you are just moving too fast. I think, yeah. you know, especially early on, I felt like I came to this organization from a very top-down organization. So I, I came in feeling like I had to be the one with the answers. I had to be the one that like kind of manipulated, if you will, the system to get to people to the point where I thought they should needed to be. And very early on, I learned absolutely not that this, you know, our school system is a very, I don't know if it's unique, but it's, it's a very organic. And, and it, the beautiful thing is as a leader, I didn't have to have all the answers because there was incredible thinking and incredible ideas from within. It was just, you know, giving the time for those to emerge um, really was a lesson for me. Great. Um, thank you. Can you, can I ask you just to both of you, just think about the big picture of the last chunk of years, you know, really, I, I think of the advent of software as a service technology in the early 2000s as being kind of the beginning of a new phase of K-12 technology. I think things fundamentally changed there. It's when you started to see really, you know, mainstream teaching start to move over to technology. So if we can use that kind of artificial um, beginning point, what have you observed about how the industry has learned, grown, and developed as a partner to districts over the last 15, 20 years? And what have you observed that they haven't learned? I'd love to know kind of what you, what you see big picture there. Go ahead, Debbie. Okay, I was gonna say, I can jump in. I think that, um, you know, again, referring back to what John was saying about, you know, really seeing students as individuals and being able to work with each one and be flexible in your system, malleable enough so that you can meet their needs. And I think the industry has provided us with, or has started to respect that and understand that a school district's desire and need is to be able to view students as individuals. So I think that's, you know, that's important. Um, but I also think that they they haven't gotten it quite right yet because it, mm -hmm. it's like it's like a big huge pot of vegetable soup, you know. So they're creating these pools where they're putting everything in, and then you can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this, and it becomes extremely overwhelming to the end user. So we haven't quite found that sweet spot of end user ease coupled with 
functionality of really being able to, you know, see students as individuals and, and provide for them. All end users, teachers, students, administrators? You know, I, 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 I'm going to say teachers because at the end of the day, uh-huh. that's where the rubber meets the road, yeah, right? right? They're the ones that make a difference on a daily basis. And so it doesn't do anybody any good for an administrator to come in and say to teachers, oh, you know, Bill and Mohammed need this, this, and this. It's, it mm-hmm. really needs to be at the teacher level. And teachers just don't have time to really engage, you know, in very complicated systems. Tech needs to be good at teacher, teachers, not the other way around, right? Correct. Yeah. John, what, what have you seen kind of as overall trends? It's been an interesting evolution. You know, as I reflect back, as I start my, started my teaching career, uh, that was a little before the time that you just said was the starting line. And right. I, my experience, right, is I, I transitioned and was trained in a other a delivery method, right? And then I led through the shift to new and improved, we believe, uh, opportunities for kids. But there's been a lot of uh, a lot of learning along the way, right? As we've tried to deploy technology in an effective way. Uh, so I love that the solution providers are walking alongside us, right? And having conversations with us about what the needs of kids are and the needs of school districts and they're able to innovate and shift quickly around those needs. I think what I still see as the biggest gap is uh, the district and the you know, solution providers working on depth of implementation, right? So we get the product, we see the thing that we do believe will make the big difference and we have the research behind that, but we get about half of it implemented and then we move on to another solution, right? Mm-hmm. Or, that we're distracted by something that comes our way. So uh, as I think about those that are coming alongside and helping us try to move the work, uh, I just think they need to ensure uh, that districts uh, get full implementation, right? Uh, all the way throughout. Doesn't the that state. go two ways though? I mean, couldn't, it goes both right? Ways. Isn't that, you guys need to also be involved in that? Yeah. No doubt. It's a partnership. And I think yeah. that that's, when you see the full implementation, you see the full impact, right? And districts, right. Uh, chase rabbits and and solution providers can chase rabbits and move on to the next contract, right? right. Uh, so I think that's the key thing is getting great partnerships and agreeing on what full implementation looks like on both sides and then holding each other accountable to do so, right? And when you do that, I've seen magic work, right? When we go deep in full implementation, uh, but I've also seen a, a lot of hiccups along the way when you, you don't go all the way through. Yeah. It, it, with respect to my, you know, venture capital, private equity friends and colleagues, the, the bootstrap companies get it from the get-go because they know they've got to renew you or else they're dead, yep. right? They can't move on to the next contract because they're, and nor do they have a mandate to do so. They're moving district by district by district. So if you're bootstrapping, you're just doing friends and family backing, you have the flexibility to do that. Some of them get yanked in another direction. Oh, you got to go sell to a bigger district, go to, right? You got to sell to New York City, right? Like, which is not really a thing that you can, I mean, it's pretty hard to do, right? So, um, so oh, I always say to people, what's that? I said, they don't buy anything in New York. <laughs> I mean, not in the way that people think they do. Um, Correct. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you can, if you, if you are going for a big play, just build into your model to think like bootstrappers with, on the implementation side might be John's message here, right? Just really go to get talented people. Don't pull the most talented people away from me just because my district's smaller, which is a thing that happens. You know, it's comes down to people and relationships always, right? It's, it's the foundation of all success in the classroom and the implementation of 
everything that we shift, whether it be a technology tool or some other shift in our system. Yeah, and that's a really important point that I'm going to highlight. It's the foundation of success in the classroom is about the people and the relationship, and we all know that. You know, research shows it, but it's also common sense. We all remember you. You started off talking about the educators that got you interested in becoming an educator, right? Exactly. So the solutions need to also think that way. People yeah. first, features second, right? Agree more. It's the heart of public education in uh, the United States, and I think any effective education, whether it be a K twelve or higher ed, or something that happens further in life, it's that relationship between teacher and student, uh, and the culture of uh, the the uh, collaboration that happens in a classroom, and that happens in a school community that takes us so much further uh, than we can go uh, when we just isolate and try to double stand and deliver, right? And that's not- Yeah, yeah. Thanks, appreciate those, those reflections. Um, Debbie, if you could go back to you starting in Brighton, get in the time machine and give yourself advice, what would you say? The next, this question is coming to you too, John. I don't know. I, I, again, maybe, you know, take time, listen, make sure that you're always listening, build the relationships as you were just saying, you know, before you try to do anything, take time to build the relationships. They're critical. Yeah. John, any advice you'd give yourself when you started in Springfield? Yeah, Debbie's advice is awesome, obviously. And then I think uh, that's I always take more time for that. And it's it's hard for us to do when the urgency and the push from the board and the community is shift and change. Uh, and we know we have to do it, but take more time for that. But I think it goes back to just what I was talking about on implementation. So as you move changes into the system, look for depth of implementation uh, and ensure uh, that you're always have a feedback loop right in the process to gather information, whether it be anecdotal, whether it be data collection, all of those things help inform the shifts that need to happen for full effective implementation. So just make sure you got the feedback loop in and go deep. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to say on behalf of both of you, because if I were to get in that time machine and I say it to everybody all the time, it's partially, I think, a product of what we do here, but take care of yourselves. You know, I think that that's that taking that time for recharging and wellness, it makes us all, and I get a, I have to take this, this advice myself, makes us all better leaders, right? Um, if we're more grounded. Um, so, you know, any, any thoughts about what you sat in the chair throughout this really kind of insane year, uh, really tough year in, in every community one way or another, how you, how you got kids and families through it. You know, what, what do you think, if you, know, if you had to predict, what, what changes from this pandemic educational experience do you think will be with us five years from now? And do you think that's gonna be a good thing or bad thing or indifferent? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so hard to get the crystal ball out, right? People have asked it to do that the entire time through the pandemic and I actually had one on my desk. It didn't work. Just like <laughs> You had an actual crystal ball there? Yeah, an actual crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> did not uh, give me all the answers, so yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep looking into it for the future. But, you know, as I think about uh, what I've told people in this, especially in this last year, is the superintendency is a hard job. And I think uh, we have to own that. And it's okay. I, I signed up for a hard job. Pandemic made it an impossible job. Right. It, it truly made the ability to uh, meet everyone's needs in a customizable way uh, impossible. Right. And 
we aren't miracle workers, right, in education. We, we, we take on the weight of the world on behalf of our kids and our communities, and our teachers do that every day in the classroom, uh, but we can't solve every problem. And the pandemic, I think, uh, showed us that we need more partnership along the way. Right? And I think if, if there's something that I want to come out of this, two things. Number one, I hope people value teachers more uh, because of what they did commitment to kids and their commitment to try to uh, get through a very difficult time. And then the second thing is that uh, schools learn that they need deeper relationship and partnership with their community and their community partners uh, because the wraparound supports that our kids need coming out of this require us to not just try to fix it all on our own. We don't have the staff, we don't have the resources, we don't have the expertise. Uh, and the only way we can help our kids get everything they need and be prepared for the success in the future is to be the conduit to the other solutions, right? Be the professional educators, but be the conduit to the other things that they need. So I hope we get more connected as we move into this next generation of education. You know, there was an engagement that happened and, you know, most districts go through a process of developing what they call a quote unquote strategic plan, right? Or a technology plan, right? These plans that get written into documents and posted on websites and they're discussed at board meetings and, you know, but um, they don't necessarily, they don't get anywhere near, I'm guessing in most places, the level of engagement as did the quote unquote strategic plan you guys had to start putting together last March for how the hell you were going to get through the next month. And then over the summer, it's like, okay, let's get our plan together. We got to re rethink school without kids on campus. And the level of engagement that you had and that I hope ends up eventually being something positive for kids, families, districts, and, you know, um, but also probably presented all sorts of new challenges you weren't ready for. 100%. Yeah. It's a, uh, you, you want it and you need the engagement, but you really don't need it around a crisis because people are so uh, emotional around that issue. You want it right. sound reasoning of a five-year, 10-year plan, but we need the full engagement. But the engagement, like how can you get it to be more engaging, right? Yeah, yeah that's that's interesting. All right, Debbie, what, what do you think? What, what's gonna be the upshot of this, good or bad or, or indifferent? I hope I'm right. I hope we have proven that learning is not confined to brick and mortar. I hope that we really have continue to, you know, meet kids where they are, regardless of physical space, you know, using some of the tools that we had to bring online, our LMSs and, you know, some of our, our you know, Zoom format, as a matter of fact, you know, became essential tools. And I hope that we continue to use those and provide students with alternative learning opportunities, flexible learning opportunities, so that we can, you know, circling back around to what I just said, we can meet them where they are and take them to where they need to be. And I think that, you know, the pandemic and this last year proved to people, you know, we, I mean, we, you know, we were all in that, that early adopt, or not the early adoption curve, but the implementation curve around the utilization of technology. And then we were plunged into it full force last March. And, um, you know, I'm jazzed by like some of the things that teachers, some of the behaviors that they took on that I'm hopeful that they will continue in service to students for sure. Great. Well, I really appreciate you both coming on to, to chat with us and closing out our, our season of education thought leaders. It's been a, it's been a good one. We've had some really good episodes, but um, yeah, nothing better than wishing to two friends and colleagues all the best. So since you are officially retiring, even though you're going to keep doing some work, I'd love to know what is on the vacation bucket list. What are places you've wanted to go, but couldn't because of school schedules or 
whatever, where, where, where might you be traveling over the next few years? First one for me is 25th anniversary and we're going to hit Hawaii soon. Uh, awesome. So ever Congrats. Hear amazing stories about uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world. So that's on our uh, upcoming list. That's great. Enjoy it. Are you going to go to all the islands or just the, just Oahu? Uh, I think we're going to hit Maui and, and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. What about you, Debbie? Well, my husband and I are big fans of Cabo. So definitely Cabo's in the future. He, we also want to go to Spain. I'm just actually looking forward to be able to, to travel when I, supposedly I can get cheaper tickets than right. break. <laughs> That's all I care about is cheaper tickets. So, oh, yeah. Uh, Yes. Go to Cabo in September, right? Oh my gosh, you're crazy. Imagine, or like, you know, November, not yeah. Veterans Day weekend. Wednesday to Wednesday instead <laughs> of having to like fit it in on Sunday or something. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm married to a teacher. I'm, I'm right there with you and she ain't retiring anytime soon. So, um, well, good. I, you know, really appreciate you both. And thanks for being part of IEI. We really appreciated having you. And I do hope you'll stay in touch. And uh, we're always here to help any way we can. Thanks for your service. Thanks, Thank Doug. You. And thanks for uh, some great uh, conferences and some fabulous locations. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. Salt Tiffany. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. This has been Education Thought Leaders, brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation. The superintendents we don't have here is not We You can have people who support you, but no one's that's here. Talking about shared solutions, talking about collaborating at a very, very high level. So coming here kind of gives you a little rejuvenation, that little pick-me-up. Superintendents and vendors from across the country, and that the whole exploration and development of new partnerships is critical.